Almighty God, you are our only hope. You are our portion and glory and good. Blessed be your name. Come now, Lord, and cause your spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know what is the hope to which you have called us and the great riches of your glorious inheritance for all of those who trust in Christ. And cause your word, I pray, Lord, to be set before your people and Christ may be seen and treasured this morning as we look at your word together. May he be our joy and our hope everlastingly. And as we receive your word this morning, Lord, help us that we may wait on you, that we may be resolved that your blessed hope, the appearing of your glory, our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our great and final end. It is in your name that we pray these things. It is in your name that we lean this morning as we look at your word together that your spirit may stir us to faith, repentance, peace, and joy, and indeed hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're only near the end of February, and 2023 has proved to be quite a year for Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Our congregation has handled in a lot of waves uh, in the last two months. It is indeed the Lord's providence and His good pleasure that we are in First Peter. We started First Peter at the beginning of this year, and First Peter has been a place where we have turned and we have found comfort and strength for this text, this passage, uh, especially First Peter chapter 1, has walked with us through very difficult times, even over the last several weeks. Many of you have even communicated how you've had to um, be pressed, you've been pressed to reevaluate um, the things that you are placing your hope in. I've even heard of testimony of some of you who have been called on to explain the hope that you have in Christ to your family members, to your friends, maybe coworkers. Some of you have said you've had to talk with your children in family worship about the hope that your family has and how you are turning with hope to trust the Lord. This is a good thing, right? You know, even here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so this is what God has called us to. And yet we're right here in this book where we are in our lives having to reevaluate and assess and explain and defend and give a good reason for the hope that is in us. Well, this morning, this is what we were going to do. We're going to hone in on this hope that we've been given in Christ. And so this morning, though I read verses 13 through 21, uh, I trust you will be patient with me. We're going to look together specifically at verse 13 this morning alone. We're going to be considering verse 13, and we're going to be looking at this hope that the Lord is calling us to explain and to defend in our lives right now as a congregation. Look with me, if you will. You remember back in verse 13, Three of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it speaks of the fact that we have this hope. It says in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the great mercy, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. And as we said earlier, this hope in our Bible has a different understanding or meaning than a lot of times we use that word today. We might say, I hope it does not rain next week, or I hope I will pass my tests, or I hope that I will feel better tomorrow. These are, these are ways that we use this word in the English that merely speaks of a wish or a want or a preference. It's kind of like crossing our fingers and anticipating something that we expect. But in the Bible, when the Bible uses this word, Primarily, when the Bible uses this word hope, it is speaking of something very different. I define hope, it's this, this biblical hope that we see in the scriptures when this word is used, as a confident expectation 
and God's future promised glory. Did you get that? The biblical idea of hope is a confident expectation of God's future promised glory. So hope is the promise from God that has not yet come to pass, that will surely and certainly happen, but it's not quite fully happened yet, and so we're awaiting for it to happen in the future. Let me give you a couple of verses to explain or give some context for this understanding of hope, and then we're going to get into the text this morning. Titus chapter 2, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now listen to this use of the word hope and how confident and sure it seems. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. you the confidence that's being brought forward when this word hope is used. 2 Corinthians 1.7 is even clearer. It says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Do you hear how, how confident that is? Our hope for you is unshaken, and we are sure that you will also share in our comfort. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You hear how that word is not used as a wish or an expectation of of something that may or may not happen, a preference. But instead, this is a a confident expectation of something that will happen in the future. Hebrews 10.23 goes on and says, Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So our hope is in this promise that God is faithful to fulfill that which he says. This hope is what we are granted when we have been shown mercy and we've been caused to be born again. Do you see that there in verse 3? According to his great mercy, God's great mercy, this is why he is the blessed God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And what is that born again resulted in? It's resulted in a hope. And so our hope is directly connected to our salvation. They cannot be separated. They they have to be together. And so what's being said here is that as those who are in Christ, we have this hope, this definite expectation, this confident expectation that we are no longer separated from Christ, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But we now have a hope that the world, those who are outside of Christ, have no idea of. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted his, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ, His life lived perfectly, sinlessly on this, on this earth 2,000 years ago, and then dying on the cross and dying there for those who would place their faith in Him, that they may be forgiven of their sin and washed clean from the guilt and penalty of their sin. Those who have never done that this morning, that may be sitting here this morning, you do not have an understanding or an ability to have a hope like those who are sitting here this morning that are in Christ, that have trusted in Him. I call you this morning, if you're not in Christ, to consider this hope that we have, this glorious gift and treasure that we have as those who are in Christ. This hope has, is not something that we're to sit on a shelf This hope is not something that we're to uh, preserve or to tuck away and someday, one day, maybe near the end of our life, we'll pull it out and we'll use it. No, according to our passage here, it says that we're born again to a living hope. Do you see that there in verse 3? Meaning that this hope is vibrant and influential. It's not stagnant. It is not unnoticed or even ignored in our lives. At the very least, we see here at the first of uh, First Peter that this living hope causes us to rejoice because of this glorious and wonderful gift that it, it gives to us. To the point that this passage starts in verse 3 with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the reasons why we praise the Lord. is because we have a hope that is beyond this world. In all of its, in all of its ways, it is dying and fading and perishing. Now, Let me make a transition here. This is why I'm trying to lead up to this, because I want us to be very clear on this point. Notice in verse 13, which is where we're going to land in this morning as we start, that it begins with, therefore, our 
Peter, when he began to address these elect exiles, as it says in verse 1, that are going through all this difficulty and struggle, they're being run out of their homes, they're, they're on the run, they're, they're dispersed and scattered all over the place. They've lost all of their physical possessions, likely, and they're on the run because of the gospel. He doesn't begin with, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded. That's where many of us would prepare would begin our time. That's where we would begin maybe encouraging one another in, prepare your minds for action, get ready. No, what Peter does, he says, let me explain to you what God has done for you, not what you can do. It's very important that verses 3 through 12 are indicatives. In other words, they are stating what God has done, and they are stating who we are because of what God has done in Christ. They're declaring to us what God has made us to be. And, and then, only then, after that point, we see the imperatives. So the indicatives, who we are, are first. And they're the foundation for the imperatives. And that is how we're to live, how we're to act, how we're to behave. In other words, our being, what God has done for us in Christ, precedes and is the foundation for our behavior, what we're to do, how we're to live. Now, this is important because each and every one of us, when we begin struggling in a particular area, a particular area in our life, or maybe a sin keeps pressing in on us, the first thing we want to do is start twisting our calendar and changing our to-do list. We want to begin saying, well, what do I need to do different? How do I need to change my life? How do I need to change my schedule? Or how do I need to change this and change that? No, we need to begin with, who am I in Christ? Wait a minute, let me step back and realize that, wait a minute, the Lord has delivered me from this. I am one who is in Christ, who's been delivered from the power and influence of sin in my life. And begin with who we are instead of with what we need to do. So it's very important this morning for us to understand that verse 13 is standing on a very sure foundation of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. It's very important for us to understand that. And this is the very foundation of all of Scripture. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, Abraham comes before Moses. Abraham was declared a great nation will be with you. The Lord's going to bless you. The Lord's going to be with you. The Lord's going to make a nation through you. That's what Abraham was told. Moses was given the law. Abraham precedes Moses. The indicatives precede the imperatives. Who we are in Christ precedes what we are to do. Even as Paul wrote the New Testament letters, we find, for example, in the case of, first, uh, of Ephesians, we have chapters 1 through 3 are telling us who we are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 tell us how we're to respond in action, how we're to live in light of that. All of the Bible is made up this way. And so we need to understand, and I want to make a, a point here, too many of us jump into the Christian life thinking it's about what I do and how I behave and how I can perform. Brothers and sisters, this is not where we are to start. We're to start first with where I am in Christ. Am I in Christ? Am I, am I resting in Him? Am I looking to Him? Am I acknowledging and affirming who He is and what He has done for me through this great work, this great mercy where we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Where are you and I in that? We did nothing for that. We're just the recipients of that great work. And so therefore, therefore, Resting, being convinced on this status as elect exiles, Peter's telling these people, because you're elect exiles, because you are elect, God has purchased you, God has made you his, you are now to live in a particular way as exiles in this land. In this place that you're journeying through, your behaviors and your lives should be indicative of not what the world is like, but now what God has made you to be. So this is what verses 13 through 21 are doing. It is telling us this is how we're to live now that we know that we're firm in that we are in Christ. We, are ex uh, we too, like those of First Peter, the, the congregation of First Peter, we too are elect exiles. We're saints who are living in this land. We're passing through. We're not here forever. And Peter doesn't pull any punches here. He says, those who are living in this world, when this world isn't our home, as elect exiles, we're to live comprehensive, absolutely devoted lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to live with one foot in the world and one foot where God wants us to have it. We're not to live 
half of our lives for the Lord. And then on, on, on Sunday, on Lord's Day, we're going to give him on Sunday. And then all the rest of the week we live for the aims and ambitions of the world. Or even my own desires and my own aims. The world is not our home. And as we pass through this short, vapor-like life we have here on earth, Peter is warning them. He's warning them that they cannot and we cannot become too comfortable here. We have to live as those who are exiles. We have to live as those who have been elected by Christ and who have brought through this world looking to the final destiny that God has given to us. Peter is exhorting these saints and he's exhorting us today to live devoted lives while here on earth. Now, notice with me in verse 13 how comprehensive and devoted these are. And this is not, these are not the three points for the sermon. These are actually the three different commands that are given in verses 13 through 21 so that we can see the whole scope of what we're looking at here in our passage. Verses 13 through 21, we have three commands here. And this is the, the scope of kind of what we're looking at. Notice first in verse 13, it says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed. Fully. You hear how, hear how complete and comprehensive that is? Now look with me at verse 14, where it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, look, you also be holy in what way? In all your conduct. Comprehensive. Absolute. Complete. Devoted lives. Fully, um, full, uh, hope, hope fully, holy lives in all of your conduct. Now look with me, if you will, at verse 17. This is the third command that's given in verses 13 through 21. The first command is to set your hope fully on the grace. The second is be holy in all your conduct. The third imperative in verses 13 through 21, the third command is this, and it's in verse 17. There in verse 17 it says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, notice, conduct yourselves with fear. That's, that's the that's the. That's the the command. That's what we're to do. We're not only to live hope-filled lives, we're not only supposed to be live holy lives in all that we do, but we're also supposed to have conduct ourselves with fear. We're supposed to live lives of fear before God. And notice what it says, this fear, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Every single moment of every day, not partially, not on occasion, but fully and absolutely, comprehensively, a full hope and all in holiness and a fear that's throughout our time here on earth. And this morning, we're going to hone in. We're going to gather our thoughts around one verse. And I'm going to squeeze this verse hard. And we're going to see, see how helpful it is for us as a congregation. I thought about trying to cover both um, our, 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 our full hope in the grace of God and also this holy life that we're to be living. And I thought, well, as a congregation, I really think it's good for us to, to, again, we have to give the hope. We have to give a reason for the hope that's in us. We're going to be doing that this week as we approach the funeral at the end of this week for Alan. And this morning, we are a people who need to turn to and lean on and consider this hope we have in Christ. So let's hone in on this one verse, verse 13. And let's look together this morning at this hope, this hope that we're to be, that we have fully in the grace that is revealed to us. And this morning, I want you to notice this verse 13 in three points. Three points. The first point is the means for our hope. The means for our hope. The second point is the extent of our hope. The extent of our hope. And then thirdly, the object of our hope. Verse 13 is going to contain these three sections. It'll be tracks for us to run on here. The means for our hope, the extent of our hope, and the object of our hope. This is my prayer for us this morning. This has been my prayer for my own heart. Last week as I prepared the sermon and this week as we go forward from this sermon. Romans 15, 13. Listen. Romans 15, 13. This is my prayer for this sermon. This is my prayer for us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That's what we need this morning, brothers and sisters. We need to be filled with all joy and peace and believing because our God of hope wants us by the power of the Holy Spirit not to just have hope, but to abound in hope. That is our prayer this morning. I hope you came, if you did not come with that expectation, 
I pray that now, by the power of the Spirit, God is giving you that expectation, that you may abound in hope. Let's look together at God's Word and ask Him to do that for us this morning. First, let's notice the means for our hope. The means for our hope. Even though this living hope that's told to us in verse 3 says it comes to us by God's great mercy and is caused by us being born again to a living hope. All of those things are things that God does for us and this living hope he's going to bring us into. We need to note that here in verse 13, Peter then turns and says, Though this hope is something that is given to us at, uh, at us being regenerated and born again, it is not something that is automatic. It is something that we are to pursue and it's something that we're to look to. We're to, we're to foster, we're to stir in our own hearts. In other words, this living hope is not something that automatically happens for us. It's something that we constantly need to be guarding. We constantly need to be feeding For this hope then isn't just some dead, lifeless hope, but it's a living hope, a vibrant hope, one that's influential in our lives. It requires our careful attention. So verse 13 then gives us specifically how we're to stir up and maintain this hope in our lives as Christians. Look with me at verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Do you see that there? There are two things that's being told of us that we are to do Two things that we're called to in order to stir and maintain our hope. This living hope that's been given to us who are in Christ. First, we're to prepare our minds for action. Do you see that there? And then second, we're to be sober-minded in this world. First, then, we're to prepare our minds, our thinking, so that we're living in a way that is according to our thoughts, according to what God has given to us in way of His truth. We can't overlook this. This is a vital, vital truth. We need to hear this this morning. You're going to hear it over and over again in this sermon. And here it is. Our thought life is the battleground. Our thought life is the battleground here. We must not overlook this. We need to realize that what we're thinking about gauges who we are and whose we are. Brothers and sisters, we, we do not realize how much we're allowing the world and all the stuff that's around us in the world as we, as we gaze at our devices and as we're looking at all kinds of things around us. We're allowing those things to dictate our thoughts. And it's making us more like the world than like Christ. For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Romans chapter 8 says this, Those who live according to the flesh, listen, set their minds on the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit, what's a a marker of those who live according to the Spirit? Those are people who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Our thought life is the battleground. We must begin there. We must allow God's Word to be the primary influencer of our thoughts. We see, many of you remember, and some of you even have, your King James Bible sitting there in front of you. And your King James translation there in this particular part, this phrase, isn't prepare your minds for action, but it's actually bringing forward the Hebrew idiom, a Hebrew phrase that they would have understood in their day. And that Hebrew phrase is this, gird up up the loins of your mind, right? Gird up the loins of your mind. And it would be similar to us saying today, Roll up your sleeves. Or if you're going into a particular stressful time of your life, for somebody to say to you, you need to buckle up. Right? Now, if we had said to the people in the Old Testament or the New Testament back near the time of Peter's day, if we had said to them, roll up your sleeves or buckle up, they would have no idea what we're talking about because they wouldn't have a context for those idioms. But now, we're looking at this, this phrase, this Hebrew phrase, gird up your loins. And we have here a picture that we need to grasp. During the biblical days, a man's long robe would often get in the way when he was either working or trying to do certain tasks. So he, in the midst of his work, or even if he needed to run, he would gather up the long part of his robe and tuck it into his belt and allow it so that his legs were now free so that he can work without the hindrance of the robe being around his legs. Now, we bring that back into our text then, and we're saying something like this. We need to be intentional in our effort to prepare our minds for the hope that we're to be living in. 
Peter is calling us to gather up, gather in all those loose ends, all those distractions, all those other things that would cause your thoughts to be diverted and even misdirected and not as clearly focused on the hope that we've been given in Christ. Is this something that you and I need to do? Yes, it is. We're so scattered and distracted in all of our lives. No wonder our hope is not set on the things of Christ. No wonder we are so quick to despair. The point here is to take every thought captive to obey Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Now, the aim and the value here is not to live out in the middle of nowhere. If you can go and find some place somewhere where there's no internet connection and no, nothing else to do and, and all you have is just your own thoughts, that's not what it's talking about here. It's not just simply trying to say, get away from everything that's distracting you. Because if you were out in the middle of nowhere, you're still not as apt to linger on the things of God. No, the aim and the value here is to do whatever it takes to, to cling to the hope that we have in Christ and remove anything that's causing a hindrance or would cause you to be distracted from that pursuing of hope in Christ. The battle, the battle is taking place primarily and principally, know this and hear this, you're going to hear it again and again, in your mind, your thinking, your thoughts. We must prepare our minds to take action. And to think and to do something that many of us don't take the time to do. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to reflect and linger on God's word. We do not need to flop our Bibles open, read a paragraph or chapter in our Bible, close it up and then run right off to the next thing in the day. We need to allow God's word to seep into our hearts. We need to be pushing it into our our lives and the lives of those around us. We need to make sure that we're reflecting upon the truths and the promises of God's word more than the thousand other things that are constantly dragging us off in our thinking. The aim is to hope in Christ. Now, how are we to prepare our minds for action? So prepare your minds for action. Gather in the loose loose ends so that the distractions and the other things that may be dragging your heart away and wave your thought life. How do you do that? Well, the way the construction of this verse works, it shows us how we're to do that. We're to prepare our minds for action in this way, by being sober-minded. By being sober-minded. Do you see that there in verse 13? What does it mean to be sober? Well, I'm glad you asked a Baptist. It's always good to ask a Baptist about that. We will. It means very simply and practically and tangibly to be sober means to not allow alcohol or any other substance to overtake or to influence the way that we are seeing things that should be seen clearly. If we're, not un- if we're unable to firmly grasp with clarity the truth and reality of what's around us, then we are not being sober-minded. So sober-minded means that we start this preparation of our mind for action by being self-controlled and being disciplined. God wants us to be disciplined. There are people here this morning that are very disciplined. It's a good thing. Too many of us are very disciplined in our own strength. That's a bad thing. There are others of us this morning that are less than very disciplined. I'm trying to say it kindly. The point here is that God has called us to a measure of discipline to such a degree that we're not allowing the world and the things of the world to confuse or blur our thoughts about those things that are good, beautiful, and true. We're allowing the world to tell us what is good, beautiful, and true. When the world throws images and throws ideas and throws concepts before us all day, every day, we begin being shaped by those ideas, and we unknowingly, many times, begin thinking more like the world than like what scriptures are dictating to us. Don't make this any harder than it needs to be. What are the things that are allowing you to not be... What are the things that are influencing your thinking more than the Word of God? Just ask that question and begin going that direction. Now let me be clear here. It's interesting. I've had a couple of conversations over the last couple of weeks, and what I'm finding is, is that there are a lot of people, and I've seen this for a handful of years now, there's a lot of people who um, identify who they are by what they feel. Like my feelings are everything. And my feelings then dictate and control all of my actions and all of my thoughts. Now, that, that's insane. That's, that's crazy. And that's the world we live in. 
And, that, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the reasoning that's got us in the shape that we're in and many, many of the places that we're in our culture. You do realize that our emotions and our feelings, according to the Scriptures, read through the Bible. The Word of God is what dictates who we are. The Scriptures tell us, in other words, who we are and how we're to understand ourselves is, 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 is found outside of us, not inside of us. If you're constantly trying to find out who you are about what's inside of you, you're going to be a raging, crazy person. And you see those all around you, don't you? Because they're trying to figure themselves out. and They're trying to dive deeper into their soul and their feelings and their emotions. And man, they can't, they can't land anywhere. But God's Word tells us that who we are is in light of God. Now, here's the thing. We don't realize we've made that mistake. We don't even realize that because the feelings and the emotions are so tangible, it seems like this should be what defines me. And then the world affirms that. That's a way that you're not being sober. That's a way that you're not being sober. You're allowing the world to dictate to you what is true instead of the Scriptures dictating to you what is true. So I want to help you understand that we, we need to understand that Satan is very crafty to lure us a thousand different ways on empty pursuits to half-truths and cause us to have an ambition that is more in line with the world than with the Word of God. We cannot get off track. It is necessary for us as God's people to know what is good and right and true. We're to be watchful. We're to be alert. We're to be very careful. We're to be sober, brothers and sisters. So we aren't just taking on the world's suggestions and assumptions for what is good and beautiful and true. This is so important because we are surrounded with so much deception. So many lies. For every glance at our device, propaganda is flooding in, raging in like waves. Misinformation is hard to discern when everybody has misinformation. We have access to sources and resources and counter sources and think tanks and fact checkers and then fact checkers for the fact checkers and then we must acknowledge then that all of this is coming at us at a lightning speed and we need to focus on the things that cause us to hope in God let me ask you this do any of those things cause us to cling to Christ they don't these things and thousands and thousands of other things constantly cause us to be stirred up anxious overwhelmed the world the sky is falling and the world's coming to an end why because the news has told me well they'll tell you that again tomorrow god's word is true it abides forever it's a firm foundation our hearts need to be rooted there we need to be sober-minded these days the world around us is seeking to make your heart dull to the glory of christ and the joy of his kingdom to come is your heart dull to the glory of christ Does your heart revel in the glories of Jesus Christ? The reason it does not is because of your thought life. Because to see Jesus Christ is to love Him. To know Jesus Christ is to adore Him. To believe in Him is glorious. To desire His kingdom is our all in all. With a sober heart... We're not to be drunk by everything that this world throws at us. We're to be firm and controlled as God's people. Gather up your thoughts, brothers and sisters, so that you'll be able to set your heart fully on the hope that we find in Christ. The reason our hopes are so scattered is because our thought lives are so scattered. Finally, brothers, let me give you this word. Whatever is true, that eliminates a bunch of stuff. Whatever is honorable, even more stuff. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians chapter 4. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the means of our, for our hope. Let's look now, number two, the extent of our hope. The means, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded. The extent of our hope. You see there it says, set your hope fully. You see that short phrase? 
This is really the real thrust of this verse. This is where the command is. This is the imperative. We're to, we're to hope. We're to set our hope fully on Christ. And in this commandment, we can see the extent by which we're to possess this hope. Is it supposed to be partial, half-hearted, here today, gone tomorrow? No, Peter calls us to set or fix or settle our, hopeful, our, our, our hope fully on Christ. We find that this implies, if we're looking at our text and thinking about it and meditating on it, this, this text then, Peter implies then and warns us about the fact that we can indeed have this hope and then it can drift away. It can shift. We can have this hope and then it can be lost in all the other things that are in our lives. In other words, Peter is here warning us of something so many of us already know. And so many of us may be this morning, even by the power of God's Spirit, acknowledging. And that is, though you have a hope in Christ, it is not a hope fully in Christ. And that warning, and that warning is being given to us here. Hope can only, hope can so easily grow cold, grow lifeless, grow dull. Our hope can turn from a living hope to a hope that's been neglected. So it is a calling here, Peter's telling us, to set, to fix, to settle ourselves, to hope fully in Christ. So he's calling us to be determined, to not allow our hope to be neglected. Many of us acknowledge that we have a hope in Christ. But then, and know this, this is, this is the reason why verses 13 come later from this explanation of the various trials that we go through. When the various trials come into our lives, they begin taking things away from us, and then we begin realizing, wow, I didn't realize how much hope I was placing in that until now that is no longer in my life anymore. And I'm realizing I was placing way too much hope in this thing that would come here today and be gone tomorrow. Even some good things. Set, fix, settle your hope, brothers and sisters, on the Lord Jesus Christ. May he stir us and maintain the hope that is only in him. A warning is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing good deeds, or excuse me, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In other words, he saved these people. He's talking to there in Colossians. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is the aim that we'll be presented holy and blameless before our God before our Lord, if indeed, if indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, how directly connected is this hope to your salvation? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, listen, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You see that warning there? Our, we, can, we can shift our hope from something other than the gospel, maybe even unknowingly. So beware. Beware. This is why we're to set or fix our hope on Christ and Christ alone. It goes on in our passage and it says, set your hope fully, fully. J.I. Packer lived a long life and a faithful one. I'm thankful for his writings. He wrote an article near the end of his life on Christian hope. And he wisely stated that so many people that he knows says that as long as there is life, there is hope. Have you ever heard that phrase? As long as I'm still living, there's hope. Packer turns it around and says, an even deeper truth is this, that where there is true Christian hope, only there is their life. Isn't that true? The world and Satan and our flesh will constantly assault our living hope. Do not be shocked by this. We need to understand the way that our hope is going to be attacked. Listen, you need to know how our hope is going to be attacked. The deceiver is way too cunning to, and, and to brazenly come into your life and demand for you to lay down your hope in Christ. You would never do it if he was that brazen It's straightforward. Instead, what Satan will do, the deceiver, the enemy of our faith, instead what he'll do is he'll clutter our lives with a thousand other things that we begin placing our hope in so that one day we'll be down the road and we'll realize we have no room 
for hoping in Christ because we're placing our hope in so many other things. Many of those things may even be good things, blessings that the Lord Himself has given to us that we begin clinging to and living for and focusing on. Our daily lives are pressing us and pressing us. And so we place our hope to the point that then we all of a sudden become so crowded by all the different various things that we're finding joy in and hope in that it finally pushes out the hope that we have ultimately and finally in Christ. Notice how this danger is given to us by Peter here in our text. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed. We're told over and over again in Scripture that there are indeed false hopes that we are to avoid. These are enemies of our living hope. And the way they attack is through our thoughts and our thinking. We begin thinking that a relationship is ultimate. We begin thinking that more resources or stuff will make us happy. We'll begin placing our hope in all kinds of things that this world promises that will make us happy and help us enjoy our lives. And all along, what we don't realize is that it's chipping away at the hope that we have in Christ that is not of this world. Again, what do you give your thoughts to? Let me ask you this. This is an important question that was asked several years ago at a conference. It was dealing with another matter, but I think it's very pertinent here. When you don't have anything at all to think about, what do you think about? I hope you don't pull your phone out and start looking at it. That's killing us. It's killing our heart that desires to be captivated by Christ. Now, I want us to go to work here this morning. Take your own heart to task. Take a few notes here of some of these questions so that you can ask yourself and ask the Spirit to, to show you and reveal to you some things that you may unknowingly have began to place your hope in. What do you set your hope on? What are the things that you have fixed your longings, your ambitions, your desires on? What are the anticipated or uh, anticipate what are you anticipating or who are you living your life for? Here are a few questions you may want to jot down. What am, I, what am I preoccupied with? What are the first things that come to my mind in the morning? What am I preoccupied with? What are the first things in my mind in the morning? Second question. Fill in this blank. If only blank, then I'd be really happy. If only blank, then I'd be really happy. What do I give a lot of attention to preserve and to keep at any cost? What do I give a lot of attention to preserve and keep at any cost? What do I fear most of losing? What do I fear most of losing? What causes frustration, anxiety, or even anger in my life? These are all questions that you can ask to begin diagnosing where, where am I placing my hope in? Pray and ask the Lord by His Spirit to search your heart, to reveal the other things that, are, that your heart is, is tending to fix, themselves, to fix himself on and to hope in. Maybe ask a brother and sister this week to um, kind of talk you through some of these things, share some of these answers that you may have. Ask them to pray for you as you seek to um, let your hand open to let go of some of these things that you're hoping in. You can see here how Peter is calling us not to just hope, nor do we see Peter here setting our hope alongside all the other hopes that are in the world and saying, here's a hope that you need to put with all the others. Nor is Peter here saying, prioritize this hope, may get the top one and then have all the other ones underneath it. No, Peter here is saying, set your hope fully, absolutely, comprehensively, on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter is saying that we are to have no other rivals for the hope that he has given to us when we are born again. None. None. All, other, all those other hopes must be put to death as competing dangers to the hope that is the one true hope that we have in Christ. Now, we must be clear-headed here about the reality of things. Think about it this way. If we live our lives convinced, absolutely convinced and believing what the scriptures say about our creator and his creation, the corruption of sin in the world, as well as the corruption in our own hearts, the wonder of redemption by the precious blood of Christ. 
If we believe the astonishing final consummation that the Lord has described in His Word that will happen in the future, if we believe these simple, basic truths, then we would know with clarity, we would know with sobriety, if you will, that every variance competing hope, every misplaced hope, will finally be revealed for what it really is. Utterly hopeless. Eternally damning. Utterly hopeless and eternally damning. Those other hopes may not seem to be bad things. They may, they may be things that you think, I can, I can run along in my lives with these and other things. But Peter here is illustrating to a people in 1 Peter. Remember where we're at in our text. Remember the context. Peter is illustrating here, just in these few sentences right before our text this morning, these saints are being confronted with the reality that the things of this world will all eventually perish, spoil, and fade away. And Peter is pleading with them, and he's saying to them, though you're exiles, though you're being run off, though you had to abandon everything that has any earthly value, why are you in despair? Why would you place your hope in all of these temporary earthly things that you are sure you will lose at the end of this short life? Brothers and sisters, I am not talking to you this morning about a possibility. I'm saying that if you're placing your hope in anything other than Christ, you will lose it one day. It will be set aside one day. You're going to have to live without it one day. Peter encourages us by saying to those who are saints, don't lose heart. Remember, you're exiles. You're not here forever. Don't live like you're here forever. The real hope, the place that all of your hope is resting, is somewhere not on this earth. It's been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's been confirmed by the resurrection. Your inheritance, according to Peter just a few verses earlier, is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is a blessing. This is the blessed hope that we have. Oh, that His kingdom would come. Oh, that our hearts will be fixed to that hope. It is utterly hopeless too to have other rival hopes. Also, it is eternally damning. It's eternally damning. Because any deviant hope that is shared with the perfect, satisfying hope that Christ has purchased and accomplished for us is stealing our heart away. It's stealing a part of our love that is supposed to be for Christ. It is stealing a part of our joy that is supposed to be set for the heaven to come. It is stealing the rest and the peace that God has promised us in Christ. It's confident hope that we have now, we're to live today, is influencing and affecting our lives so that we can have these things like joy and rest and peace. And I want to warn you. The reason our lives are so often in turmoil and in conflict and thrown here and there is because our hopes are misplaced. They are not fully and absolutely placed where they should be. And you see that the things that you're placing your hope on, they're shaky and they're moving around. And Oh no, I might lose those things. And your life is a shambles. This is why. Because there are contending hopes. And they're like the thorns that are in the field where the seed of God's word is sown. Mark chapter 4, verse 18. And other seed are the ones whom, who are sown, one sown among the thorns. They are like those who hear the word of God. But listen, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. You've got the word of God, the stable, steady, eternal truth of God's word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things, all of these worthless, empty, trite, here today, gone tomorrow things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. I pray the call this morning awakens so many of you who are trusting in Christ, but your hearts have grown cold or maybe even casual or maybe even crowded to so many other hopes, that the Lord will reveal that these other hopes you're clinging to is causing your heart to be so downcast, your soul in such turmoil. Why? Why is your soul downcast? Why is your soul in such turmoil? Hope in God, Psalm 42. Hope in the glory of Christ in the gospel. We are not living in a playland. 
This is not a time to entertain ourselves. This is not a time to play. We're living in a war zone, a battlefield, and eternity will be what is won and lost for our souls and for the souls of our family. Awake. Be vigilant. Watchful. In these dangerous days, set your hope fully on Christ. Let me say it like Paul says it in Colossians 3. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life, listen, your life is hidden with, God, with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Why would you hope in anything else? Why do we go after so many other things that will just become dust and float away? Now, as I got to this part of the message, we need to turn to point number three, and it will be shorter. But I want you to turn with me to a passage this morning that I heard read to me by a sister in Christ this week. And um, she didn't know I was listening in, but I was hearing her. She was reading it softly to herself. Turn with me. If you're using the Bibles that we provide for you, it's on page 818. It's Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Turn with me there. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. It's because his times were pretty dire. That's saying it lightly. God's people were eating each other during this time. This was not a time to be lifted up. This was a hard, hard time. There was profound loss among God's people. They were trying to figure out which end was up. I mean, it was, it was hard. Lamentations is five chapters. Think about it. Two chapters, chapter three, chapters four and five. So chapter three is the middle chapter, right, of Lamentations. In the middle of chapter three are these verses, starting with chapter three, verse 19. And this is really the pinnacle of the book. This is really the, the main aim of the book. This is the point. And I want you to hear the hope that's in this absolutely desperate hour for God's people. Lamentations 3, verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, these hardships, these difficulties, and is bowed down within me. This is a desperate heart here. But this I call to mind. Where is this man going? Where is Jeremiah going? He says, in the midst of my affliction and wanderings and wormwood and gall, my soul is continually remembering these things. I'm bowed down. There's nothing in me. Everything has been extracted. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. You see this hope? What in the world could he be calling to mind in this desperate hour, and, and so have hope. This is what he's calling to. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Do you know what? I imagine this man saying it out loud because nothing in his environment looks like this. Nothing is reminding him of this. Everything outside of him is telling him everything is horrible. Go find somewhere and die. He's saying, this is where I'm going to place my hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He's having to preach this to himself. His mercies never come to an end. How frequent are they? They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. The Lord, the Lord is my portion. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm looking to. That's what I'm wanting. That's what my soul longs for. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Look at that next phrase. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Strange, isn't it? Strange. Can you do that? Can you do this? The Lord is good 
The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him. Listen to this last truth. These are not suggestions. These are truths from God's Word. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that we wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Here's, here's there's a, a bunch of stuff that I want you to see in here, but hope feels a lot like waiting. And it doesn't have a lot of stirring around. It's actually pretty quiet. And it's saying out loud, like I heard that sister this week say, in her whispers, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. That's where I'm going to anchor my hope. We have to admit that our hearts seldom are in this place. The world around us is constantly pushing us to think otherwise. This is very strange to those who are around us. And I want to address this point in our last point, the object of our hope, and we'll close. Here's something I want you to be very clear on. You will never place your hope in something that you're indifferent to. If heaven, Christ, things of the Lord, the word of God, if you can take them or leave them, you will never hope in them. We only hope in those things that we think we cannot live without. And that's why this is an incredibly important time for us this morning. Unless the Spirit of God stirs some of us, we will leave this room just as damned as we came in. You need to take inventory and know that we're not talking about what's going to happen this week or in the next few weeks. We're talking about eternity. And I pray that you see your heart, your soul in the balance. Are you going to hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? This is worth hoping in. This is something we should not be indifferent to. The reason we are indifferent to the, the grace that will be revealed, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the reason we're indifferent to that is because we've allowed our thoughts to be consumed and even changed and believe the things that we're being told that are not the Scriptures. If you're believing the Scriptures, you would revel in this fact. And you will say, like Jeremiah did, there's nowhere else to go. This is the only place that I can hang my heart. There's only one place I can anchor everything that is me in. And it is this hope that the grace that will be revealed to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ is everything. Now, some are here this morning thinking, and you're honest with yourself, and you're saying, uh, I don't think so. I'm not sure my heart's there. I too doubted. This week as I was preaching, I was convinced that my heart did not, is not captivated by this truth as it ought to be. So what do I do? I want you to enter into the crazy world of shame in my office on Saturday, usually wrestling with the text, asking the Lord to bring forward His Word for His people and change my heart first and then come and with power and conviction come and do this in the midst of His people this week. Lord, what is it that You want Your people to hear this week? How do You want them to hope in You? How do You want them to cling to You? And I confess, I too doubted that this grace, this revelation of Jesus Christ, that it would, it would so stir my heart that I would cling to it and it only. So I examined my heart Asking the Spirit that I may be sober, in other words, clear-headed, that I may prepare my mind, that I may allow all these other extra, extra things kind of to go aside, and, I, and I, that I might see what is true, that I might see what is real, what is, what is right and true, and always will be, set aside all those other things, sober-minded, preparing my mind for action, reject that which is false. And I was reminded, so I began praying, reminded of this passage, that the Lord tells us that we're to constantly be praying. We're constantly be crying out to Him, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, will you give me a heart that desires that prayer, not just saying it from rote because I know it, but actually crying out that you will indeed cause your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is this kingdom to come? Is this revelation of Jesus Christ, is this something that's valuable? I look at the world and I see all kinds of things that the world tells me is valuable. I I see all kinds of things that I can enjoy. I can see where my heart can cling to things that are good and none of you would have a problem with me letting my heart just, just revel in and love and be captivated by certain things that I have that the Lord has blessed me with. Matthew 13 comes to mind. Verse 44. Is this, is this revelation of Christ Jesus that will be brought to me, is this worth it? Matthew 13 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered it up. And listen to this. Then in his joy, not out of obligation, not because he had to, not because he was told to, but in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's worth it. It's worth everything. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Is this anything less than what Christ has called us to? Take up your cross and follow me. Taking up a cross means we abandon all other hopes, ambitions, and joys, and we ask the Lord to give us this one singular desire that we may pursue Him. So we see the value of the Lord Jesus. Though our heart isn't completely and absolutely convinced, we're crying out, we're asking the Lord, will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convince our hearts this morning that we may see you clearly? That with sober minds, Grant that your spirit, even now, Lord, I pray, would determine to sow the seed of eternal value into the hearts of these men and women. That you will so grant us eyes and ears that we may glory in Jesus Christ, that we may see his joy, that we may hope in him, that we may love his beauty, that we may wonder in his grace. Because this, according to our passage, turn back to... Turn back to our Peter passage here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. On the grace, listen to this, we're going to hope in this. This isn't a wish or an anticipation or a, or a preference. Grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All other hopes will disappoint. This one will not. This one will not. It's quite a leap. It's quite a call. It's quite, a, it's quite an amazing challenge for us to see that there isn't anything else that we should place our hope in. How can my heart revel, sing, be captivated by these things? How can the Spirit of Christ Himself open my eyes and your eyes to the worth and value of Christ and His kingdom? And I, was, I had my Bible open on my desk, and I, was, I, was, I was, had my hands on the Bible. I'm, I'm weird like that. I actually put my fingers on the, on the passages, and I'm, I'm trying to make it. Lord, this is more true than all this other stuff that's out there. This is more true. And the Lord says, I mean, I'm reading through, and I'm reading through, and I'm reading through, and I'm like, Lord, it's right here. How can the Lord do this in you and me? This is how the Lord can do this in you and me. This is how the Lord... Caused my heart to sing even even yet yesterday. My prayer is that this morning, verse 3 of 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be His name. That is true. He is the one who is eternally blessed. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, He has caused all of those who are in Christ, all of us, to be born again to a living hope. Through, through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. An inheritance. An inheritance that is, that is much better than anything on earth. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and is kept in heaven for you and me. Who by God's power 
are being guarded. We are, we are in, by God's power, we're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The Lord's keeping us. The Lord's sustaining us. The Lord's holding on to us. In this, you rejoice. You rejoice. Though We're in this world that's so beat up and battered by sin and the corruption of sin. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But it's not in vain. It's so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than anything on earth, especially gold, which is tested by fire, may be found to result. What's the result of these trials and these difficulties and these things where our hearts are grieving because we're placing our hope in the things of the world and then they go away. They start getting pulled away from us and our hearts grieve. It tests our faith. And what's the result? In the praise and glory. Look at that phrase. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is again. That's the phrase we're looking at at the end of verse 13. The result will be to praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what are we to do? Though you have seen him, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, though you do not now see him, you're going to believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. That is the salvation of your very souls. May the God of hope fill each and every one of you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you and I may abound in hope. Let us pray.